So, I, you know, we're really happy to have you on the program today. Um, and I'm, I'm one of hundreds and maybe even thousands who are dying to know who the guy behind the viral blog is. And uh, that's what we'd like to kind of start the podcast off with, is you just kind of letting us know who you are and what you're about, bro. So do you want to share with our viewers who, who is Sam Eaton and what he's all about? For sure, yeah. So um, I'm Sam. Uh, I'm 28. Uh, I started a blog a few years ago called RecklesslyAlive.com. I actually started that blog uh, a week after a suicide attempt that I have. Uh, that's a part of my story that I haven't told until about the last year or so, and I've become uh, really outspoken about that. Um, but uh, more than that, I just blog about the my faith in general and my struggles with that. I really felt God calling me. Uh, to just be more transparent in my journey of both mental illness and then also just walking through church, uh, giving people this uh, true picture that, you know, Christianity is not perfect. It's not always going to be great and happy and unicorns and rainbows. Sometimes it's, it's going to be really tough. Uh, and so it's been, a, it's been a ride, that's for sure. Uh, never had anything go viral before. So uh, what was that post. like, Sam? What was it like to go viral, quote-unquote? Hmm. Uh, let's see. It was nothing like I expected. Let's start there. Uh, yeah. So the blog post across a few different national sites now has over a million views, wow. uh, which is a lot. It's hard to understand. Uh, I, I was most unexpected for the anger. Uh, hundreds, hundreds of very angry emails and comments. Uh, people just furious with me, telling me I'm the worst thing that's ever happened to the church. Oh my telling gosh. me I should have. <laughs> just killed myself oh my god uh, enjoy your time are you hell. kidding um no no I've people said you should have just like finished this. the job yep um uh, my oh favorite my one was like god. enjoy your time in hell uh for criticizing christ's bride so uh and that holy that smokes was, sam that was really hard uh i finally just kind of stopped opening them uh but for for months that was like i just felt like i was carrying this weight of this anger towards the church and towards millennials in general that I just never, I never asked for. I mean, I wrote this blog on my tiny little blog, uh, and then it just, but, uh, well, here we are. Are you there, Sam? Yep. All right. Sorry about that little technical difficulty there. So you're saying people actually said you should have killed yourself uh, when when you had that suicide attempt years ago, it would have been better that you did that than to criticize the church? Yeah, and I mean, the underlying thing of this this whole post is, like, I actually wrote it as a love letter to church. I mean, the, the article starts out, I'm sitting in my large suburban church at an annual meeting, looking around, and there's a couple hundred people there, and I count about three people under 30 uh, and that just kind of triggered something in me of like, what's going on here? Like, where are my people? Uh, what what are we missing? And and then it it was a few more weeks through that that I was just kind of praying and writing and and listening and like thinking through my own experience. But even in my own church experience uh, and through all the comments, two people had two very uh, different reactions. Some of them very angry, and then. I would say probably a majority of them were like, heck yeah, like this guy's got something. Huh. Uh, so it's been a polarizing article, that's for sure. I'm just so disgusted at that reaction in anybody who names the name Christ. The idea that someone would 
think it's better for someone to end their life than to point out flaws that they see in God's church. I mean, to me, that's just so gross. And I'm so sorry that somebody who is supposedly part of our team spoke to you that way. That That's like, that's unreal, man. Yeah. And I mean, the truth is it's given me an opportunity to really step back as a Christian and kind of take a look at, at the landscape of Christianity and the church in a way that I never would have before this article. Right. It's allowed me to kind of tap into some of this anger that I see uh, and just kind of process that with God of like, all right, God, what is this about? Why are people so angry? Hmm. I mean, that's definitely a very healthy way to digest the criticism you received. I don't I think you're a better man than a lot of us. Uh and would we? I can speak for myself. If someone spoke to me in that manner, I don't know if I could turn it around into something positive like you just did. So, good on you for that, for sure, man. And that's very uh, mature of you, at least you know from this standpoint. Um, so the the other thing that we would want to know, you know, uh, is really like. So did this blog begin in that meeting or was it like something that was marinating inside your soul for a long time and you just couldn't put words to it and it kind of culminated in that meeting? Yeah, so I uh, came back to church at 23. Uh, it was about a year and a half after I had graduated college, had moved back to my hometown, got a teaching job uh, and really felt like there was something missing in my life. Uh, found my way back to church. I would say I kind of classify my my uh, testimony as I knew who Jesus was through middle school and high school. Even college, I would go to worship, but my relationship with him never changed what I did. I still lived for myself. And I, I marked that moment when I was 23, when I, I finally started learning who Jesus actually was and the life he was actually calling me to. And so in that season at 23, I found my way back to this church and just fell in love with this church and uh, on my journey back to life, after my suicide attempt, I uh, just made this prayer to God that if I felt like he was asking me to say yes to something, I would say yes. And so I filled so much of my time that had been spent partying and doing all those kind of things uh, with just serving the church. I taught Sunday school. I taught high school, small groups. Uh, I played on the worship team. I led a young adult small group, and so I, I just lived church. I actually bought my house to be closer to this church because I was <laughs> commuting there four and five days a week. Uh, and so I just lived and breathed church for, for about five years, but I kind of found that I, I just kept hitting burnout. And part of that was just my own story of, of serving and, and life balance, but even more so I just uh, I kept hitting this wall of, of not fully liking church. Uh, and I've kind of chronicled that throughout. I did some crazy things. I did uh, a project where I helped one person for every day for a month to kind of get my focus back on serving and back on Jesus rather than the church at large. But I kept coming up against these things that just kept turning me away and wanting me to leave. And so I, a few the, the months leading up to this blog post, I'd actually been thinking like and looking at other churches. I had spent my summer with one of my friends visiting a number of churches in the area. Uh, and so I was looking at this in more than just my own church, uh, but but that's kind of how I got there was what would it take me to want to stay? Wow, what a question. Do you think other young people are asking themselves that question? Like, you know, what am I missing here? And, you know, is it worth sticking around? And is it even something someone could provide for me? You know, do you think other young people are in that spot? 
Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, even just the like the title of the article on faith, that right, 59% of millennials have raised in a church have dropped out. I mean, just looking at a statistics standpoint, uh, we know that people, especially in millennial generation, have left in droves. Right. Uh, so, so we, we got to talk about it and we, we got to ask them why, you know? Huh. And uh, just for our audience sake, uh, when I shared your article, a lot of people were asking me where those statistics came from, where where are we getting those numbers? Not that I doubt what you're saying. I'm just, you know, uh, from an analytical standpoint, just want to uh, verify the source. Of course. It's from the Barna Group. It's a, a study they released on March 24th, 2014. I actually linked to it in the article so anybody can take a look. Um, and this isn't the only one that's out there. There's quite a bit, but Barna is a pretty reputable uh, resource when it comes to uh, this type of information. Um, so I definitely trust what they have published. And that was back in 2014? Yep. So do you think that those numbers have increased in the last three years or decreased? Uh, that that I have no idea. Uh, watching uh, just in my own community, I would say they would probably continue to go down, but that's purely uh, speculation. Huh. Now tell us a little bit about you know, uh, what life is like for you, you know, in a small church in Minnesota? Like, you know, how, how did you grow up? Did you grow up in Minnesota? Yes, I grew up uh, in Episcopal Church, kind of. We went to church about twice a year, uh, but I had a pretty, uh, I had a, an abusive father. He was an alcoholic, and so I spent as much time as possible trying not to be at home. And so the huh. good side of that is that I, uh, did a lot of youth group hopping. I had the greatest friends a guy could ask for in middle and high school, and I would go to this youth group ski trip, and then we would all go to this uh, youth group roller coaster day. And uh, so I spent a lot of time just around good people doing good things, uh, and then slowly kind of emerged uh, throughout high school, college, and then, like I mentioned before, post college. And what did you major in in college? Music education. I teach uh, elementary music kindergarten through fifth graders uh, five days a week. It's a crazy little life, but uh, it's good. It's good. So I would imagine you're good with kids. Um, well, they haven't fired me, so <laughs> there's that. <laughs> so by default, you must be good with kids. And that leads me into a question that I think many of maybe our lady listeners are wondering, and that's oh, uh, in light of the fact that you're good with kids and you're obviously – a solid human being who loves God. Uh, are you single? Dude, I am super single. Super single? <laughs> oh, that's another category. Right? Well, it's I, a little bit crazy how single I am. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. If it's okay with you, we'd like to just take a, a quick detour and market you uh, to the single ladies listening. Is that okay? Um, yes. Well, hey, single ladies listening. Um... I, I have heard from many young women in the faith how frustrating it can be to find uh, a real, you know, man of God, so so to speak. I know that phrase can be kind of trite, but just a guy that's, you know, solidly pursuing the Lord and, you know, uh, has the interests of others ahead of his own. And, you know, it just happens to be good with kids, and I think that's important, you know. And uh, if you're if you're out there saying, you know, there's just no good men out there that love Jesus and are also sensitive and love kids and want to take care of me. I think um, we've at least given you one example of a man that could fit that description. 
Now, I don't know what life in Minnesota is like, and if you'd you know, be interested in going to meet him for, say, a, a date or dinner or something like that, but I think Sam is open to it, and I think he's a, you know, from what we can tell, he's a pretty solid human being, so just don't despair. There's more Sams out there. I wonder if we're doing more harm than good right now. <laughs> I'm sorry, Sam. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so basically, he is super single and available. If you, uh, you know, are listening and, and wanting to explore that, maybe uh, at the end of the program we can figure out a way to do that without uh, <laughs> leaving Sam in a place where he's unsafe. Um, so what's the best way for ladies to reach out to you if they did want to take you up on that, Sam? The safest way, oh my of course. Gosh. Uh, well, they could start by uh, reading my blog, recklesslyalive.com. All my contact stuff's in there. Feel free to stock away, people. All right. There we go. So that's an open invite for you ladies out there. Unless you're crazy. Yeah, unless you're crazy and then maybe not. Maybe don't contact Sam. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. We should Uh, should go back to the interview. So I I wanted to kind of keep this podcast lighthearted. That's kind of why I'm being a goofball. Because I've listened to some of your other interviews. And it seemed like people were sometimes making you uncomfortable. Or just not really listening to what you were saying. And I didn't want that to be the case today. Like, I wanted you to really just open up and, you know, share your heart about what you've been through, what you've seen, and, you know, maybe where we can go from here. So I, I hope it's okay that we're being lighthearted today. Of course. All right. And in the in the uh, vein of being lighthearted, I have a few, like, fun questions before we dive into the blog. More fun than dating? Uh, I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> So All right, let's go. I have a question, and it is, do you uh, gently unscrew your Oreos, or are you an all-or-nothing dunker, like someone who gets milk on their knuckles in the whole nine? <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, well, I'm super lactose intolerant. So oh, jeez. Wrong question. So I guess Twister it is. <laughs> well, I mean, you could, the lactate milk, right? You could, you could dunk in that, right? Yeah, it's just not the it's same. It's just not the same. Yeah, you're right. No, you're right. Let's scratch that question. How about... Um, a favorite author of yours? Uh, Donald Miller. Ooh, my man. Uh, he wrote Blue Like Jazz. <laughs> uh, lots of great books. Searching for God Knows What is, is my favorite from him. I think I think uh, it's one of his best, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, a Thousand Miles in a Million Years? I would screw that up. Maybe it's A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. Yeah. Whatever that book is called, it's fantastic. Yeah. It, when he started diving into, like, story... And how yes. to frame the characters. I found that fascinating. Yes. All of his books. Read them. <laughs> I like that. I, I, I also agree with that. And uh, as far as um, movies, are you like a movie guy? Uh, I fall asleep during a lot of movies. Okay. Uh, my high school friends actually had a list of like over 100 movies I'd fallen asleep during. Uh, but I do like movies. <laughs> I just happen to fall asleep a lot <laughs> i hear you i hear you now as far as netflix are you are you one of those people who can crush like a whole season of a show in like three days or do you watch episodes in moderation no no, no. i cannot sit still for more than a couple hours at the most uh so yeah i i don't I'm not a huge binger gotcha now this 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 was one that i thought would be fun to hear what your thoughts were on it are you like a sucker for a good conspiracy theory like tinfoil hat and all, or are you one of those people who's just super classy when people bring them up? Like, even though you think they're crazy, you're just like, oh, that's interesting. I'll have to think about that. <laughs> yeah, that's more like, yeah, I'm more polite. Where I would okay. Say, um, yeah, okay, sure, we never went to the moon. <laughs> right. 
Right. And who was there, you know, when JFK got shot? Like, you, you know where it goes from there down the rabbit hole. Um, I love I love history. Um, conspiracy theories, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, it's interesting. And, and I think um, probably the most important question is, did you vote for Trump or Hillary, Sam? Oh, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You don't have to answer question. that. <laughs> No, no, I, you don't have to answer that because we wouldn't want to answer that in the studio either. So, um, but now that we've had a little fun, which is definitely something I wanted to uh, have with you before we dived into the, the controversy that is your blog post, um, I guess my question, and you guys can chime in at any time, would be like, um, what do you think is the main issue at hand, or is it so nuanced that you can't really put your finger on one? thing or the other like is there something that you really just wish to communicate some some issue you see that is maybe chief or at the top of the list to bring healing and unity to the church wow um what a small question (laughs) uh i think it actually would come after the blog post came out and that would be man i wish christians would just stop screaming at each other and screaming at people in general uh, take a look at any of the comment threads on this post and you'll just see, like we were talking about before, so many angry people just, yeah, just screaming at each other. And I think that that's one of the biggest things that is turning people away from the church, uh, is people like that. People like the people, uh, who emailed me, uh, and I touch about that a little bit later, but just, uh, you know, we're called to be the aroma of Christ. We're called, uh, to be different and set ourselves apart. And I just think the screaming Screaming and the arguing and the bickering, bickering is probably the biggest thing getting in the way of that. Why do you think? Why do you think we're bickering? What are we so defensive about? Yeah, I think it's fear. Uh, after months of processing all the anger, I kind of came back to: uh, if anger is a secondary emotion, I think we're just afraid. We're afraid. What does it mean if our churches aren't reaching young people anymore? What does it mean if sixty percent of a generation has walked away? Uh, it doesn't mean we're not doing enough. We're not trying hard enough. We're not. We're not actually connected to God. Uh, it just brings up a lot of scary questions, I think. Uh, but we all know fear isn't from God, so we gotta we gotta look harder at that. So what what do you think they're afraid of? Is it admitting failure, or is it something else? Mm-hmm. Do you think it's uh, a fear I, of being wrong about how we view? God and the church and scriptures or do you think it's just a fear that maybe you know we're just not doing this thing right and we need to kind of start from scratch with the whole thing even more so just just maybe just a fear of change uh a fear that the church of the past might not look like the church of the future and that's okay the church is constantly evolving uh culture is constantly evolving uh I'm not saying we need to completely overhaul church that's never been my message uh but are there things that we could tweak in every church? Of course. So you just said something that I, I think is uh, really potent, and that's the church of the past doesn't have to look like the church of the future. Could you uh, you know, just unpack that a little bit more for us? Uh, a lot. I mean, probably one of the biggest responses to my article was this, this statement that the church doesn't need to change uh millennials are the problem right millennials are too selfish they're self-centered they're not willing to serve they're not teachable they're lazy uh and this is the type of talk that we always hear about 
this generation. Uh, but I think God calls us to, to go and to reach these people any way that we can. Uh, so to say that we don't have to change, they're the problem, that sounds like the complete opposite of what Jesus is asking us to do when he says, go make disciples of all nations. Uh, we have to change our methods, how we're doing it. We're not changing the message. We're not changing the truth. We're not watering down the Bible. We're not stopping preaching. We're not doing any of that. We're just changing the method. We're just changing the way that we reach people and, and invite people into a better relationship with God. Could I ask a question? That's Dave, by the way. So I, I respect everything that you're saying. I'd like to just maybe ask a pointed question or two. Um, the, the idea of not watering down the Bible, I think maybe is pushing, like pushing the real point out. Um, because I love, I loved your article and I found it to be substantive. And, um, I was involved in a, a long thread of responses over almost a thousand comments yeah, that I think it was like 900, Matt yeah. posted your, your article on his, on his, uh, Facebook page. And it, it went viral in our circle. Um, and um, one of the things that I remember hearing people say that like the article is um, I, this isn't about doctrine. This is about like little, you know, like little changes. And I actually reading your article, I find that it is and maybe it's not cardinal, but it's definitely an issue of emphasis and priority um, where, you know, where the church is, you know, how their directives are actually coming down uh, on a in a real time sense, like what people are hearing from the pulpit. Like one of the things that I loved from your article was, uh, was that helping the poor isn't a priority or number three on reasons why millennials are over church. And to me, uh, to me, like you, within your, within your, uh, statement of faith in a given church, like you can believe in reaching, you know, reaching the needy and you can believe the scriptural, uh, references about true religion being taken care of people that are that that need the help that you can give but but it seems like it's not a priority in terms of uh, frequency of mention or if you were to ask them like well what's more important sharing a bible verse or or you know giving someone lunch the, the answer is clear in their mind that it's it's about you know the proliferation of the message it's the other things are subordinate and then to the point where you almost never hear about them so so when you say it's not a doc, it, we don't mean to water down the bible but you are looking to you are looking to question the not the hermeneutical approach uh of christianity but definitely like how how the emphasis is formed from the hermeneutic approach is that is that would you agree with that uh, y yes, uh, I guess um, I agree that, that we need to emphasize uh, different things. Uh, I guess, I don't know, I when I read the Bible and spend my own quiet time, I just don't know how anyone can walk away from those stories and not see that helping the poor is kind of a central part of that story. Uh, serving the least of these is the way that, that we love Jesus. Um, so... Uh, Sorry, I'm not answering your question very no, well. No, that's okay. Maybe I don't. Maybe I don't fully understand what you're asking. I'm basically at, you're saying it's not about watering down the Bible, and that is a statement up and against. I would I would say up and against the pressure of fundamentalism, 
that the the anger that you felt was probably was likely from people that were looking at your approach as a watering down of scripture and you in your own i i mean from what you just said you you read scripture so it's not that you devalue it in your own life but what maybe i should reframe it like why do you think the that that people are coming with that with that kind of response to what you're saying do you think that you are that you have a substantively different view on scripture hmm. i guess i don't know i don't know the answer to that uh just when i spend time with god like that it comes away as a huge value in, in who i want to be as a christian and i just don't see that matching with a lot of churches uh i'm not a pastor like i don't I've never been to seminary. I don't have the credentials that would make me, uh, you know, uh, a great resource on on the history of the Bible and all those things. Uh, but I, do, I, I don't know. I definitely think that, that we've missed the boat on that one, that we've gotten a little bit too American in our church uh, and, and lost sight of some of the really important things that Jesus tells us to do. Sam, how did your church respond to the, to the article and the publicity that it received? Uh, yeah, so this is, this is the hardest part of my story to talk about. And I haven't talked about it very much because I have wanted to be very careful to not spread gossip, to not speak poorly of this church. Um, like I said before, this, this article was a love letter to this church that I saw kind of dying out in just numbers in general, uh, for a long time. And if I didn't love this church, I, I wouldn't have chosen complacency. I would have just walked out the door. I've never looked back. Uh, but I, I was actually trying to express um, just why, why I kept hitting this wall. And so the, I just published the, the article on my own blog uh, in September, and it made a little bit of a bubble, um, nothing huge, a uh, couple thousand people, um, lots and lots of positive things. Uh, one member of our church read it, emailed it to the whole church staff, said, here's a strong voice in our community. We should pay attention to what he has to say. Wow. Well, that's awesome um, that, that they did that. Like, pay attention, like, and and maybe make changes or pay attention because he's a dissenter? Like, just, no, no, it was it was 100% positive. Yeah, um, that's he emailed, awesome. That shows he emailed a lot of me just saying, like, he just emailed me saying, like, thank you for saying these things because uh, so I felt some of them too. Um, so from there... Uh, one of the staff members invited me to coffee, which I thought, yes, this is awesome, right? We're going to talk about these things. We're going to make a big difference. Um, and the com conversation was decidedly different. Um, I was told that my voice wasn't welcome uh, at the church anymore. I was told that I had personally offended the staff uh, and that I needed to go to them and apologize if I'd like to be welcomed back in. Wow. Um, it got it got nastier than that, but I'm just gonna I'm just gonna share those two. two yeah, no, you don't have to give us the nitty gritty. I'm just curious how um, how it affected your church when you kind of became a celebrity of sorts. Well, yeah, I mean, so and this this was all that reaction was before it got it went viral at all. This was still October. Um, Wow. It hadn't been picked up by the, any of the national blogs yet. And in my own faith walk, I, I was really struggling. I, I kind of hit rock bottom, actually, to feel like this post that I'd written, when I was writing it, I felt so connected to God, like maybe more than anything I'd ever written. And so I spent so, like weeks on this thing and then sent it out and then immediately felt cast out from my community and felt hated 
by this church that I had served for five years, like centered my life around. Um, and those feelings, I mean, really have lasted much of this year. Uh, yeah, I was asked not to be a part of the high school youth group anymore because they couldn't see me teaching uh, students and then having them look at my blog and, and read what I had written. Um, so personally, it took a huge toll uh, that way. Yeah. Did they? That's so did, frustrating. <laughs> did they get the sense that you were talking about them? Uh, so I mean, in the article, I never name the church, my church, and in fact, I've only ever said good things about my church and, and promoted my church with my platform. Uh, and I mean, like I said before, I had spent the summer visiting five or six other churches, so I was really coming at it. I mean, even the post I wrote, this is my letter to the American Millennialist Church. Right. Uh, so I guess I never thought people would, I, I never imagined that that would be the reaction. Were you talking, I mean, I mean you were speaking generally, but you obviously saw some things in your community that had, in, you know, this was an informed view. Yeah, and I mean, the, the deeper part of the story is that I have been trying to get things happening in the millennial generation at my church for years, meeting with pastors for years, running a young adults group in my home because the church wasn't offering anything, trying to get this conversation started and, and nothing ever went anywhere. Uh, so there was obviously some frustration pent up. And as I look back on it, I mean, the truth is they, they had two choices, which was to embrace what I said or write cast me out, like you said, as not a member of the team. This is crazy. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Millennials don't feel this way. And that's, that's the whole thing has been that way, right? Huh, From the start, yeah. it's like the two polarizing views. It's it's um, to me it's incredibly frustrating, uh, because well number one it's frustrating because anytime you're critical of the church local assemblies get defensive like they are the church, and local assemblies mm -hmm. are a part of the church big C like church proper across the globe right you know and I think sometimes I find that really frustrating when you try to make a point that you see you know. Uh, in the church at large that needs attention and needs care and needs, you know, maybe really for people to look at it, um, then a, a local assembly can assume that you're attacking, you know, their, their church specifically. And I, and I, I didn't get that from your article. I thought you were, like you said, it was like to the whole Christian church, you know, which is massive. And I think that speaks to sometimes how we might, uh, over inflate, our local assemblies um like if whenever someone says church i immediately think of the walls of the building i sit in on sunday then i might have missed the boat like we are all in this together the church is you know that your church in minnesota our church in maryland you know so-and-so's church in taiwan we're all together in this we are the big c church so when when someone has a criticism uh you know and says hey could we address this thing you know the fact that the local assembly they attend starts to get, you know, really defensive. It, 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 it's counterproductive and it can be incredibly frustrating. And I've, I've certainly been there, um, you know, in, in, in different, in different ways over the years with different churches I've co-labored with. And I, I, um, so I sense your frustration in that. And then it's also frustrating because it sounds like you, you really care about these kids. You know, like this wasn't something where you were trying to promote yourself or make yourself, you know, the new head pastor, you know, 
it's like you you had a heart for the young people in your church and you were you know doing your darndest to make a difference and affect a change and to be met with that kind of defensiveness and resistance and i know it's not just your local assembly it's local assemblies all over the world and that's what your article was trying to say let's suss it out let's talk about it how can we connect with each other you know to me it definitely highlights like a certain type of insecurity which is human and i don't think it's unfair uh, I think it's it would be unfair to not kind of expect people to be insecure at times, and like I, it, so so I'm sure that it was shocking to you. But then in hindsight, like the humanity of it is like, you know, like we've been saying, you know, you it, people aren't aren't interested in shifting. Um, but maybe my question to you is like, um, how do you think that we can go about? Um, dealing with people that might have an insecurity that would, you know, that would lead to the type of situation that you were in, where where you were asked to leave, like, going forward, like, do you, have you thought about, like, different ways to approach it? Or, like, have you thought about patience with it? Or, uh, um, I don't know, I I just kind of wanted to hear, hear you, like, after the fact, like, do you have any, any thoughts of, if if we're if someone was to go at go at it again, the same effort that you made, you know, in real time in their in their local sphere, like what advice would you give them, if you could? Man, I, well, the advice I give to the church is, man, I just wish somebody had asked me. Uh, I just wish that somebody had come out of love and said, like, whoa, you've got a lot of ideas here. Um, can we just? can we just talk about this or even to come to me and say, Hey, you know what? We were felt kind of blindsided by this. Uh, we didn't really see this coming. Uh, can we talk about this? But it, it wasn't a discussion. It was a get out. Um, and, and that is probably the hardest, the hardest part of it to walk out. Uh, if I could go back and do it again in real time, I, I would have pushed for some of those conversations more. Mm. Uh, I think, you mean I, while you were still attending, you would have pushed for those conversations more? Uh, no, sorry. After the article came out, okay. um, I was so hurt that I just chose distance. Sure. Um, That's understandable. And so, I, I don't know. I'm just more of like an introvert. Like I process things slowly. And so anyway, I don't necessarily love confrontation, which isn't it was never the point of what I wanted. Um, but I also was very felt so secure that I had nothing to apologize for. Like I just I I still don't see what I did wrong, um, to to deserve that that sort of uh, reaction. See, that's fascinating because, you know, the controversy that your article created or at least pointed out that already existed. Um, you know, someone who feeds off of that kind of drama, like a shock jock of sorts, who just likes to say the the scandalous thing to produce a reaction in people would kind of really like the negative attention you're getting, you know? But someone like yourself who's really not interested in, you know, locking horns with anybody, you know, I I can imagine how hard this has been for you. You know, how hard it's been to have people, you know, lighting things on fire all around you when all you wanted was to to love young people. (laughs) Wow. All you wanted was to take care of God's church. You know, I'm empathizing to whatever extent I can in this moment. Like, obviously, I I have not been through what you've been through. Um, But, man, I I can only imagine receiving that feedback and not being wired as someone who enjoys that, how hard it's been for you to digest this emotionally. 
yeah, it's been fun. <laughs> it's apparent that you're not like a pride-filled firebrand, you know. So it it you know the contrast is pretty stark from our end. Yeah, yeah, you're definitely not someone who it sounds like was, you know, trying to nail ninety-five thesis on any doors. You were just trying to like wake the church up in a sense and say, hey, we're losing our young people. How can we fix this? You know, and, yep. uh, it's heartbreaking to hear how you've been treated. Now, one of the guys in the studio wanted to uh, kind of revisit what you were saying about the struggles post high school. And they mm. were asking, like, can you speak to that more? And and what do you see um, in in churches in like a post high school context um where there's like this drop off of attending and and is that something that uh, you could you know kind of speak more about like just coming straight out of high school into a church like how should we be meeting those young people where they are you know and and are we valuing them properly are we paying enough attention to them because i know i was in a meeting um in a church context where people were were asking the question is it our job to cater to young adults or is it our job to preach the gospel and the end of the meeting, you know, the consensus was it's our job to preach the gospel. And if young people are hungry enough for the gospel, they'll stick around. And I remember, you know, I remember being so crushed by that because I thought, why are you making the juxtaposition? Why is there such a intense contrast? They're the same. Like, you don't have to say, like, either we preach the gospel or we meet young people where they are and love them. You can do both. And in fact, loving young people is part of the gospel. It's part of the same sentence. So I don't get the idea of like, well, we shouldn't cater. We should keep preaching because if we cater too much, then we'll lose the message. It's like the message only gets strengthened when you meet people where they are and minister to them, right? Completely. Well, and it's strengthened by somebody who cares about them and is walking alongside them. Uh, I think this idea that uh, young people don't want to hear the truth, I th I've never seen that, honestly. I've never met in all of my time that I've done, uh, taught in high schools and and then done youth group, I've never said a kid who just sticks his fingers in the ear and runs out of the church. Like, mm -hmm. they they want to know what the Bible says, uh, and then they want to have some space to, to talk about it and wrestle with it on their own. That's so true. Uh, and they want to know that the people with them aren't going anywhere. Like, if they suddenly decide that they're going to go get drunk this weekend, that they're not going to be cast out and thrown out. Uh, but that it's a consistent love, right? Which in the article, one of the things I wrote was like, our generation wants to be mentored, not preached at. Yes. And a lot of people took that to mean that I said that we shouldn't preach the Bible. <laughs> no, that's ridiculous. Um, but what I'm saying is like, disciple people, right? I mean, Jesus, Jesus chose 12 men to walk us alongside and do life with and correct and joke with and, um, and help and love, right? And what would that look like if every person in our church even just chose two young people like hey I'm gonna know you I'm gonna know your story and I'm here when you need me like what would that look like for this generation wow. and then not just yeah. when they leave right not just when they leave high school but like I'm gonna keep walking this journey with you uh even if you wander away like I'm not going anywhere uh I think that's how you start to change it it's, it's this more of this discipling uh idea I use mentoring because that makes more sense to more people but well, what I wanted to say was discipling now, discipling can have a really strange connotation, right? Like, like you're my disciple, and I am over you, and I'm teaching you about life. But when you're when you're using it, I don't get that sense that that's what you're saying. I get the sense that you're saying like, come alongside and just you know do life with me, and I'm happy to be your friend and to, you know, to to kind of 
share this Christ walk together. Is that kind of how you're using that term? Yeah, totally. I've never seen discipling that way. Uh, the strict yeah, way? I always just see it as, right, like with. I see it as two people with, having conversation, diving into some of the hard stuff together. Yes. And I think that's what our, our group is all about, you know, and has been all about for years. It's just been like, you know, let's dive into the things that don't make sense that we don't hear anyone else talking about and see if we can find some answers together, you know, see if we can, you know, even if we can't change the world, we can at least, uh, you know, work these things out for ourselves. So we feel intellectually honest at the end of the day, because I think that's, that's something that young people are, um, good at is calling BS, you know, and if they don't feel intellectually honest about the beliefs they hold, they're going to search them out. And what better place to do that than a place with seasoned people of faith, you know? So the fact that the seasoned people of faith take things as a threat of sorts, uh, it's it's so counterproductive to the individual search and journey of, of our young people today. That's how I feel, at least. I agree. Yeah. And, I mean, I I was thinking of you know, what we would say to you and things we would ask. And one of the things I wanted to ask is, are there any points of your article that you feel got demonized unjustly and that you just haven't had a chance to kind of clarify that you would want to, you know, clarify on the air? I mean, we don't have a huge audience, so I'm not saying like a million people will hear what you're saying, but, you know, is there anything in the article when we, because we'll obviously link your article to the podcast if that's okay, so people can read it for themselves. And, you know, is there anything in the article where you really felt people hung you out to dry and there was just no reason to because they misunderstood your heart? Um, is all of them an option? <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, all right. Well, you know, one that comes to mind first, maybe a, the chief one among them. Oh, gosh. Uh, I mean, one of them that we haven't talked about yet for sure is number six, distrust and misallocation of resources. Okay. Uh, one of the things that I suggest in this article is that uh, you make financial churches make financial records more available uh, to uh, their parishioners, and uh, I mean, when you're talking about millennials, you're talking about a generation that has grown up with headlines about the Catholic Church and their abuse for their entire life. Like I cannot remember a time in my life when the church wasn't in the head in the headlines for covering things up. Hmm. And so I, I, my hope is that the church will start to go farther to gain that trust back and just, and just realize that uh, this generation really doesn't trust institutions in general, whether that's government, church, uh, any, anything. Um, and so you'll see that the nonprofit world has really started to pick up on this. A lot of nonprofits have their finances right available on their homepage. Compassion International is one that comes to mind. You can go look and track every dollar of where it goes. Um, I think the fear of this is, right, then people feel the need to criticize the decisions the church is making. Um, and so maybe it doesn't need to go that far. Uh, but my, my hope is that uh, I'm not saying, yeah, I'm not saying that, like, you need to put every dollar on the homepage. But I'm saying we need to have a little bit more transparency about where this money is going. And, and that comes to a bigger issue of, you know, multi-million dollar churches and then how much of my my 10% is going to pay for your mortgage. And anyway, it opens a, a whole can of things. Yeah, that but, is a can that, that we could open, but it would be probably a different podcast. <laughs> Maybe may a different podcast, but that's definitely one that, that I felt really attacked on. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, I had a friend who's part of like a grassroots church uh, in the area, um, and he uh, at his former church had you know challenged the pastor about the new sound system they were buying, which was, I think it was like thousands and thousands of dollars, and it wasn't a huge church. And he just kind of said, like, you know, I, I don't mean any disrespect by it, but, you know, we're kind of a small congregation, and I don't think we necessarily need to spend, you know, that amount. Like, we could be meeting the needs of the community, and he said he really was not well-received. I, I get what you're saying, you know. Um, where is our money going? Because, I mean, one thing I, f I feel millennials are uncomfortable with is the offering time. Um, mm -hmm. when someone gets up there and sometimes they'll share like a heartwarming story about God's faithfulness, like I gave all my money away and then it came back in this unexpected way, which can't be explained, you know, like, you know, and, and then people are inspired to give. And I, you know, I remember bringing a visitor, uh, to visit uh, a local assembly I was a part of. And he said, like, I loved the message and I loved the community, but the offering time was really uncomfortable for me, you know? And I think that's something we're uncomfortable with is like, if you're going to get my dollar, which, you know, I'm working my tail off as a millennial for because expenses and, you know, inflation and all the craziness that we've inherited, you know, we're working harder for less money than ever. And I think like, you know, I think we do want to know where our money's going, because if I'm going to not invest that in my family and my home and and the, you know, the people around me, if I'm going to invest this in a, a structure and a building that does great things, then I want to kind of know where it's going. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, you can approach it, you know, maybe like a bull in a china shop and be maybe arrogant. But it, I didn't get that feel from your article. And I, I know my friend didn't give that feel when he brought it up. Well, yeah, and I think that frugality actually inspires people to give more um, because they're giving with confidence. And, and right. I'm also not saying that we shouldn't tithe. Like, again, there's a whole other discussion. Like, I think we all should be giving away 10% of our income. But uh, And then there's a whole debate there. Does it need to be your local church? Does it need to be the poor? Okay, all that. We don't need to touch it. But if I'm giving my way my money, I, I would rather, I just want to know where it goes. And I just see a lot of waste in church as well. I mean, I, I don't know the sound system guy, obviously, but, but I can definitely relate to that of like, Oh, Hey, look, there's another $500 bouncy castle that we <laughs> rented for the kids, um, to teach them that church is fun, but maybe we could have taught them a more important lesson about serving or helping someone in need with that money rather than not that a bouncy castle is wrong or anything. I just, anyway, I'm just hoping as a is a little more serious hold on sam i think we might have lost you can you hear us yep oh there we go sorry the connection went in and out so you were saying you know the bouncy castle for the kids is great but we also want to teach them about serving the needs of the community is that kind of what you're saying yep yeah no absolutely and, and are there any other points that you felt you know you would really like to to clarify and and, and kind of get out there uh a lot of people attacked me for number two about mission statements. Oh, I can uh, imagine. Which, <laughs> uh, which again is another place where I'm not saying you don't need a mission statement and that that's not important, but it was a bigger point uh, about all the time that I've heard pastors brag about, you know, we spent weeks at this retreat coming up with a new mission statement. And I think, I think that that's good. I think that knowing where your church is going, knowing where your organization is going is good. But I also want those people to understand that that doesn't come across to me as like something to be bragging about. Like I would be so much more impressed with you if you had said I spent three weeks um, making a huge difference in somebody's life. Not that a mission statement's not, but I just, 
I'm so much more impressed with actions rather than words. And I, I, I fear I fear that in the church we get so caught up in these Christianese words and making sure we have the right soundbite about the right thing on the right website that we just kind of forget that, oh, right, we're supposed to love people first. Like that's the most important thing is that we're supposed to love people and serve the poor and, and teach them about Jesus. And, and, and playing church just isn't, isn't that. It's a totally different thing. Hmm. Wow, man, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I really, it's, uh, I think loving loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. I mean, on these two, the law and the prophets are hanging, right? You know, and it's like sometimes we get so wrapped around the axle with doctrinal disputes and mission statements, we can, you know, miss the main thing in the name of keeping the main thing the main thing, which is fascinating. You know, like we kind of miss this whole, uh, you know, sense of a missional community and reaching out. Because that's something a, a friend of mine was was uh, asking me if I had any tips for uh, evangelizing a new area. You know, and I have, you know, I have my own reservations about confrontational evangelism. But um, what I told him was like, maybe if you're brand new to the area, maybe like ask the area if there's ways you can help. And I love that you said that in your article. Like maybe go around and say, hey, I'm brand new to the area. I'm a believer. And, you know, I'm thinking of, you know, maybe having a Bible study or a church here. And, it, you know, what does this community need? You know, how can I help? You know, in what ways can I be the hands and feet of Christ for your community before I tell them the gospel, before I, you know, kind of give them that narrative that we all love and has changed us, but can sometimes... uh feel hollow without the actions that you're speaking about well completely i think that just christians in general need to be much more like mother Teresa. uh, uh these people who are living it out right i'm not saying you need to move to a third world country but it seems that christians tend to speak first and act second and i just wonder what would happen and what the perception of the church would be if we completely flip that on the, on on its head um one of the stories I heard of my early church was that the community called the city for the big county fair and asked, what's the job that you can never get people to do? And of course, it was like picking up garbage and like dealing with porta pies and things. And the church said, OK, we got that. We're going to take that off your plate. And I that story has really stuck with me That's because really cool. you're putting yourself below everybody else, doing the thing that nobody else wants to do for the people in your community. And I think that speaks so much louder than any any words that you could possibly say yeah man for sure i mean how do you respond to people who might call that like the social gospel i mean i know this is a term that's you know uh passed around like hotcakes like the social gospel is to be kind of a social justice warrior rather than like quote preaching the truth like i know that i've been confronted um you know on along those lines before and I just wonder, like, how do you field those questions? Like, is your, you know, call to action and meeting the needs of the community uh, really just like a replacement for, you know, the old-fashioned narrative of, of uh, Jesus dying for everybody and us kind of uh, jumping on board with that? Yeah, I guess I just don't even fully understand why that's even like a conversation. Like, why is it this or that? Why is it that if right. I'm meeting the needs of the community, like— that is more important than telling people about Jesus. No, no, it's not. They're both important. But what I have seen is a lopsided 
piece of that. I've seen that the words have become much more stronger than the actions. I think I think they're both important, right? Actions or words, uh, faith without actions, right? That whole, I mean, pretty much the whole book of James is about that. Yeah. Um. So anyway, I just see us still kind of stuck there in that in that place of words, too many words, and not enough service. Well, when Paul said to the church, uh, I always I always have trouble saying whether it's Thessaloniki or Thessalonica. Not that that matters, but I always get insecure when I say it out loud. So that church that he was talking to that starts with a T, <laughs> um, he said something in the letter, and it was, we didn't impart the gospel only, but our own souls. And mm. when I was thinking of becoming a pastor years ago, that was, like, central for me. Like, I don't want to just go around saying things. I want to give of myself to people. Like he says in his epistle to the Corinthians, like to spend and be spent. Like I want to give it all, and I and and you know I did my best by the grace of God, and I don't I don't think I I was perfect in it, but I really did try to give more than words. And I think when you talk to a millennial about the gospel, um, they need to see more people giving of themselves than just saying something. And I think that was you know kind of part of your point, which was like okay tell me all these things all you want but are, like, what are you doing where are you like are you giving of yourself like paul's saying are you are you giving of your own soul to these people or is it just a, like you said a sound bite you yeah know? i completely agree but uh and and i would have a question for you kind of um as we turn the corner here and that would be like if you could say one thing to our parents' generation, what would that be? Listen. <laughs> All right. Just listen. Just just listen to what these young people are saying. Uh, I mean, that's the other biggest. The biggest reaction was, well, of course nobody is listening to you because you don't know what you're talking about. You haven't lived long enough. Uh, I can't tell you how many comments of that I got. Um, but I, I don't know. I think the mark of any good leader is somebody who listens, wherever, wherever you're you're leading. I mean, how can you lead people if you don't know what they need and, and what they're desiring? And if their desires are wrong, if their desires don't align with the Bible, well, then you're, you're in a conversation, right? You've asked them, uh, and you're in a place where you can share and, and help. But if you never stop to ask and stop to listen— uh, yeah, it's you're never gonna you're never gonna reach this generation or, or any generation for that matter. Wow, man, that's so good. It's so good. I I I uh, I hate that people downplayed what you were saying because of how old you are. That is to me, that's a huge logical fallacy. Because anybody can strike gold if they dig long enough, whether they're eight or eighteen or eighty. You know, and I think you've been digging for years and doing a lot of soul searching and a lot of serving in ministry, and your opinion should be just as credible, you know. And I'm not picking on the older generation. I'm just saying the fact that people were saying, well, of course no one's listening to you because you don't know what you're talking about because you're a young person. It's like that is such a fallacy, you know. <laughs> I and, and you know probably working with kids, and I know as being a former youth leader, sometimes a young person says something to you that cuts you in half, <laughs> you know, like mm. speaks to the core issue more than any of the adults in your life could have done it because they're a little more reckless in that way. So like they weren't as afraid of hurting feelings on their way in and they might say, you know, this is what I see as the core thing. So sometimes like out of the mouth of babes to, to, you know, use a cliche phrase, like really is true. You know, someone, someone younger than you might be able to 
to share something with you that could change your life, but you got to be humble enough to hear it. Isn't humility and 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 self criticism like? Can you have humility without any self criticism at all? I don't think you can. Hmm. Uh, thinking you know what's going on and you have the bead on it and and you have the right method and 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 really you should you know a young kid that hasn't lived through it doesn't know what you know so why would you go to them for answers like essentially humility in that situation would be wow like i could be i could be wrong about a lot of things right now and i should be looking for input from a lot of places right you know i should be looking under every rock for the input that would keep me from you know, from, from crashing into the rocks or from mistreating people or from just, just having the wrong idea, you know. What was that? Uh... Hold on one second. We're going to spin the mic towards you. What was that verse? Uh, better a uh, poor but wise child than an old, old and, and foolish, foolish king, king. who will yeah. no longer be admonished. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's Andrew a good, comes that's a good in verse. with one sentence. But it was Bone a crusher. great sentence. Hey, Sam, my name's David. Um, and one of the things I found both fascinating and also troubling um, in the response to your article uh, was just how many people, this, this dominant theme of people that didn't know you that were saying, um, you need to stop talking and start just, you know, start doing. You know, if you mm. start doing and stop talking so much, and um, I found that fascinating. I mean, first of all, if that people could do that to you and having absolutely no idea who you are, that they are so quick to be able to categorize anyone who has a differing opinion into a category of negative, basically. Like, oh, you're not with us? Well, then you're being negative. You know, you're not helping. Um, uh, and one of the question, uh, one of the things you said about in your blog afterwards about what you learned was about um, how it seems like we're not listening. You know, that Christians currently seem to have a hard time listening. Uh, and wanted to hear from you a little bit what helped you in your own personal life. Like, we all start at a place where we like being right, but what helped you go a little further and start listening to people, even if they had differing views, that helped you I mean, be where you are now? Well, you're exactly right that many, many, many people jumped to conclusions about who I was uh, and what I stood for based on one short article that I had written. Uh, you can actually, if you Google responses to my article, there's a lot of really nasty ones. Uh, <laughs> um, I didn't have to look too far. <laughs> it's, oh, it's, uh, so, so you're right that a lot of people jumped to conclusions about who I was. Uh, as far as how I learned to start listening to other people, uh, I think part of it is that's just my job. I mean, I'm a, I'm a public school teacher, uh, and if I want to be good at my job, I, I have to listen and, and care about people every single day, an overwhelming number of kids every single day. Uh, and I'm certainly not perfect at it, um, but you have to know somebody. Uh, you have to know somebody if you're going to make a difference in their life. Uh, and that, that is just the underlying, the message of all of this is that you have to listen and, and know somebody if you really want to care about them. Uh, yeah, I, I could, I could totally relate to that being a junior teens teacher also. 
and knowing that most of my messages probably wouldn't have the same impact as if one kid asked a question. Whatever I say in the next two minutes would probably be more valuable than a whole semester of my messages. You know, if we can't hear them, if we can't hear what their real questions are, how are we going to give them the answers that they 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 need if it's not couched to their questions? Yeah. Exactly. Huh. Yeah. Uh, another question uh, that kind of related to near the end of our podcast. Well, that gets edited. Um, was the we kind of talked about what you would say to the older generation and then also to our own generation. We find most of our uh, discussion is based on those, our peers in our age group, but they're inevitably, we're going to be the next generation at some point. And um, with you working with young people, I find it, you, it could be insightful. What would you, if you were talking to your younger self that's sitting in that church pew, that kind of hasn't questioned or isn't trying to make change, but is just trying to, you know, kind of find God. Uh, but at a, a young age, as educators, where do you, what do you, what would be your emphasis? What would you try to relate to a young kid who's growing up in the church? Oh man, so much I want to say to young people. <laughs> uh, the biggest one for me would be to stop looking uh, to the culture for your answers on how to live your life. Uh, I shared before that I grew up, my dad left when I was 12. Uh, and so I just grew up with a lot of, without any real male mentors or, uh, men coming alongside me. And so I had to look to the culture for my definition of what it meant to be a man. And that was a long and painful journey, uh, that somebody could have spared me from if they had just pointed me to the Bible and just pointed me to, what God says it means to be a man. And so uh, my biggest advice to young people is uh, that it's just to get in the word, uh, to find ways to make it relevant to yourself, whether that's finding a different translation, like the message or the voice translation, or um, studying it with people, whether that's uh, an adult or a youth group leader. It's stop even, even further, maybe just stop relying on what you think the Bible says about Jesus or what you think it means to be a Christian and actually get into this, this book that has all the answers. Like it, it's, it, it's giving you a blueprint on, on how to tell a beautiful story with your life, uh, in, in so many areas. Um, and, and it's a resource that, yeah, that has completely changed my life. Um, and I think that all Christians could, could tend to use, to know this book a little bit better. Uh, but especially young people. Hmm. What about um, here you have children that are trying to live out their Christian life, right? And they, are, they have instant access to any form of information on, online. And there's a natural tendency in anyone to kind of in 140 characters react to everything um, that's online. How would you encourage them to live out their Christian faith in a meme and Snapchat society. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't have great advice for that one. Maybe just be careful, right? And it's the same advice that everyone gives, but uh, just be wise about what you're putting out there. Um, be careful about 
about what you're taking in and, and what you're choosing to look at. Uh, and if you get into a place where you're engaged with something that you don't want to be in, man, just ask for help. Like I, there's forgiveness for you all over. Like we've got you. Mm. Um, but just be careful. Be very, very careful about about all of that. Yeah. Thank you. Hey, Sam, I have a quick question for you. Sure. This is Kyle here. Um, you've, you've mentioned in other places, and maybe you could just comment on it instead of answer the question, but what are your thoughts, like after the, after the comment about uh, the parents' generation needing to do listening and you talking about us just taking action instead of talking, can you comment more on like what you see for the future of millennials with uh, digital evangelism, digital ministry, versus collecting people into pews. Uh, you've commented, you've you've made different social media comments, and I'd love for you to just bring that into this conversation. Uh, well, I, I think there's, I still believe there's something in a church that you cannot get uh, from a screen, from sitting at home and listening to a sermon. I still think there's a need for, for the church, uh, at least I hope so. Um, but I'm not, I'm not sure what that looks like yet. I'm not sure. Uh, I think that that's kind of what we're all figuring out together. Hmm. And as far as the, the digital footprint, you know, in, in the culture today, how large should the church's digital footprint be? How large? Like in, in the sense of like, um, so uh, n not to disparage anyone from knocking on doors um mm. but i mean that is that is a, a method you know and that is effective because sometimes the the pain on the other side of that door is overwhelming and the only way that you know someone is going to get out of it is if someone literally comes to their door but then you also have this reality that every person's phone is a door at this point in time in our in our culture like you're knocking on their door on social media in a sense that's like the passageway to their heart and mind. So like how, you know, how active should we be online on social media, your blog, uh, you know, videos and, and articles and things like that. How active should millennials be in this regard? Or, or you know what I mean? And can you oversaturate yeah. it? I would, cool. I would add that. Can you, oversaturate is there an end to the involvement or does it become like, you know, does it become weak after a certain type of involvement, you know, on digitally? Well, I I have a friend uh, who I've met uh, who had ministry, uh, and he describes himself as an online missionary, and I absolutely huh. love that. Um, That's cool, man. Right? The purpose of a missionary is to go where the people are and to tell them about Jesus, and so I kind of did that. Hold on one second, Sandy. Yeah, cut out. To... Go, rewind a few seconds there. Uh, online missionary. I want to be an online missionary. Yeah, there you <laughs> uh, go. that's what I, I want to be. Like I, I want to be an online missionary. I want to go uh, where, where the people are, and so many of, so, so many of us are spending so much time on our phones on online that I, I would hope that we would uh, use it as a place to to reach people. And the truth is, what I love about the blog is anybody can click on that, and there's no pressure. Like it is, it can be terrifying to walk into a church. Uh, especially if you don't know anyone or you don't know what the service is gonna be gonna look like. Um, but I can sit in my living room and and read 
uh, a blog post about Jesus and maybe learn something that, that I wouldn't have understood without all that judgment or all that social pressure. Uh, so I definitely think that there is uh, a need and, and uh, even a desire for more, um, more of Jesus online now. I do believe it can be oversaturated. I uh, definitely, uh, with, uh, yeah, Facebook and, and all of that, I feel like people are just like posting about God is good all the time, which is which is true. Um, I definitely think there needs to be a balance uh, in that, but I think there's a huge opportunity. I, I think churches should take more advantage of that too. Huh. Now, uh, when you're saying uh, that you see the value in being an online missionary or a digital missionary, to me that sounds like a gift to the introvert or the, the soul with social anxiety, you know, who, is, who may not leave his house and, and go sit with a bunch of random strangers to connect with God. That It's almost like you're, you're giving a gift to our generation by meeting them through that medium. You know what I mean? Like, like especially when you go to church, there was that Babylon Bee article recently about the person who lit a smoke bomb so they didn't have to say hi to their neighbor at church. <laughs> and I was dying yes. laughing because it's true. Like, meet your neighbor. It's like, I don't even know the neighbor I've lived next to for 10 years. You know, never mind the guy who's sitting in the next row who I have no context for, it. you know, don't know who he is. So it can be really uncomfortable if you're an introvert, you know, to, to go to a new place with new faces and ha like almost be like forced to interact. So I think... The idea of being a digital missionary is, is, you know, probably one of the most effective ways you can reach our generation, you know, and to, to right. say and, one and, is better than the other maybe isn't a profitable thing. But to say that one is not effective is, is I think, dishonest. I, I completely agree. And, and my hope in the blog is not to to replace the church. Like, that's not the point. It's It's actually to point people to Jesus first, and then if that is in a church, and I still think that's probably the best way, place you're going to find a new community, a, a community of believers to walk alongside you. Uh, but I, I would hope that, that what I do and what I'm writing and what I'm talking about is pointing people back to the church. It was never, the point of the article wasn't to tell people never to go back. The point of the article was to talk to people who are there and then find ways to, uh, I don't know, to go from here, to look at to look at where we're at right now, take a realistic look at the numbers and the statistics and, and just come up with some ideas together about how do we move forward. Yeah, and that's, I think that's how we want to close the podcast is, is this uh, question. If you could ask the young people in our generation one question or if you could tell them one thing, encourage them in, in some way, you know, how, how would you do that and what would you say to them? I, I would say... I would encourage young people to move towards Jesus first, uh, to find a way to learn more about who Jesus was and the life that he lived and the beautiful life that he's inviting all of us to. Uh, if you've been hurt by the church or church hasn't been a good experience, uh, church and Jesus uh, are not necessarily like equal, right? It's like find Jesus first. Uh, Search for him with all your heart. If you don't understand, if there's things you don't get, like find someone who, who will just have a conversation with you. Heck, email me. I don't care. Uh, I, I would love to talk to you more about that. But uh, I also think that running away isn't the right answer. So I think that we we all need to to come together and find a way to, uh, yeah, to do this church thing better than than it's being done right now. Awesome, man. And and but as we close out, we wanted to give you an opportunity 
to speak about recklessly alive because I know, I know, um, you know, you, you, you've said in other programs that you uh, were a part of that you didn't really get to share your heart about recklessly alive, and and we wanted to just kind of give you the floor and have you take as much time as you need to just explain your heart behind that program and why you started it. I know you touched on it a little at the beginning, but you know, just fair, you know, feel free to share. The floor is yours on 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 your ministry. Thanks. Uh, I actually sat down to write a book. It's been one of my lifelong dreams to write a book. Uh, and I was in Africa doing some short-term missionary work, and I really felt like God was calling me to write a book. So I got home for the summer, and I opened a blank Word document and wrote Untitled Manuscript and started writing. And I thought I was going to write a short book with just, like, funny anecdotes about the church and just ridiculous things kids have said. And and instead, the story came out that I had never told anyone before, and that was the story of my suicide attempt. Uh, and... I realized uh, just how crazy uh, this problem is in our culture. Uh, someone commits suicide every 12.8 minutes in the U.S. Oh um, 43,000 people in uh, 2015 committed suicide. It's the second leading cause of death for young people, uh, 13 to 18. It is the 10th leading cause of death for adults. Uh, and, and I, we're not talking about it. Um, we're not talking about it in the church. We're not talking about it in our communities. And, and over the last couple months, it started to get a little bit more of attention with um, that Netflix series and, and other things. But uh, the hope of Jesus is really what brought me back to life along that journey. And, and I just realized through all of that, through the book and, and the blog and all these things that uh, I had to start talking about it. Uh, I didn't want to at all. Um, and it's been a slow process. Uh, but last May, I officially launched Recklessly Live Ministries, which basically just means that's what I started calling it. Uh, and I've been doing a lot of speaking. I've spent this past year um, at least two or three times a month about going to different churches, youth groups, uh, sharing my story and just just sharing my testimony um, and getting people talking talking about this. So we released a video last November that has – 17,000 views on Facebook. Uh, it's a suicide prevention video, and we're working on our second one. It looks like my book is going to get published, fingers crossed. Um, so it really is just the beginning of this thing that I'm doing, and, and I don't really know where it's it's going to lead. I know in myself that I don't want to be the suicide guy the rest of my life. Uh, right. I never wanted to talk about this. I just know that we need to. So that's the tension, and that's why even if you go to my blog, you'll see that I do write about depression and suicide, but it's just a small part of what I do, uh, and, and in hopes that we can just we can all talk about this together and feel more comfortable talking about mental illness within the church uh, and, and beyond. Wow, what what a gift your vulnerability is to the church and to this generation. You know, you you've really put yourself out there. You know, uh, with this blog about the things that you've seen that you want to address and also, you know, suicide and depression and mental illness, these are things that really aren't getting the attention they deserve. And I just, you know, I'm just thankful that you exist, Sam, and that you're putting yourself out there and that you have the courage to kind of take the hits you're taking to, you know, make those important discussions happen, you know, and uh, we're just we're just so glad you came on the podcast today and, uh, you know, really, you know, uh, a lot of what you said resonated with us here in the studio and you know even though we're far away we're with you in this man and uh really anything we can do to help 
from Maryland where we're always available. Sam, thank you so much, man. It's been such a great Guys, time. Guys, this has been awesome. <laughs> yeah.